You ever watch this guy on television? You all were not telling the truth, and you should not be trusted. Congressman Matt Gates, thank you for what you yeah. did for your country tonight. Be offended with the Democratic whip, not House Republicans. Like a machine, Matt Gates. Welcome to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. Let's talk about the news. And oh my goodness, there has been a lot of news since our last show. First, a quick update on the response to Hurricane Sally. Power largely being restored in the Florida panhandle. Once power gets on, the private sector is able to get food and distribution out to communities. FEMA is able to pull back a little bit. Uh, Over the weekend, I was in the area most impacted by the storm alongside FEMA Administrator Gaynor and the Department of Emergency Management Director for the state of Florida, Jared Moskowitz. We were able to accelerate some of the MRE distribution and water and ice distribution uh, and direct the resources necessary to get power on in critical areas where, you know, for example, we needed churches that were getting food out to communities to get plugged back in. And it looks like that has largely occurred well over 90% of the storm impact area seeing power back on. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg died at age 87 following a long bout with cancer. You know that if you've not been living under a rock for the last few days. And one thing that struck me was the impact on women who are dear friends of mine in the practice of law. You know, I went to law school in a period of time where we were just starting to see the transition where more women were entering the profession and legal education than were men. And uh, to see the inspiration and the, I think, determination that Ruth Bader Ginsburg instilled in an entire generation of women uh, entering this field is, is certainly something to appreciate and applaud and to remember as a part of her great legacy. But now we get to the business of filling this seat. And that's really the initial question, to fill the seat or not. Republicans and Democrats in the Senate, frankly, both looking like hypocrites. Here's my hot take. Mitch McConnell in the Senate should have taken a vote on Merrick Garland back when Obama was president. Now, that's not to say that they should have confirmed him or voted for him, but they should have at least taken a vote. And my principal critique of the Senate is they don't like voting on anything whether it's healthcare reform or immigration reform or spending cuts or even a Supreme Court justice close to an election, this is a a tense moment. And if you didn't want to vote on stuff, why did you run for the United States Senate? So the fact that they made a mistake in not taking a vote on Garland would not justify making a mistake in not filling the Supreme Court vacancy created by Justice Ginsburg's death. The Senate was elected to do a job. The president was elected to do a job. You know, this last hurricane, like you didn't see President Trump saying, well, it's in the final year of my term, so I'm not going to have the same robust response to this hurricane as I would. So why would you diminish the vigor that you would bring to any element of the job? President Trump has an obligation, a constitutional obligation to make a nomination to the United States Supreme Court because there is a vacancy. And the Senate has an obligation to advise and consent. And if they choose to withhold that advice and consent just because there's an election, I think that is an interpretation of the Constitution that reads into it what isn't there. You know, the Constitution doesn't say advise and consent unless it's an election year. So they need to get to the business of holding hearings. Now, I hope that you could fill Justice Ginsburg's seat with 
about the same amount of time that it took to put Justice Ginsburg in that seat. I mean, she was confirmed in fewer days than we have before the election to fill her seat. Now, she was uh, an unusually quick confirmation. Many have taken longer than that, but that is no excuse not to get to the work. Now let's get to the candidates. Uh, two names have really been at the top of the list with the Washington media, even I would say with the president and his public remarks. Uh, two appellate court judges, Amy Barrett and Barbara Lagoa. Uh, starting with Amy Barrett, I can tell you having had conversations with my congressional colleagues who know her, uh, she has a very, very strong reputation as a brilliant legal mind, as a good person, as someone who I think would be very hard for the left to attack. Uh, she is very well known as a pro-life advocate in her writings and in her speeches, uh, her time as a conservative law professor. I think Amy Barrett would make a phenomenal selection for the president, uh, and if she were the pick, I would certainly back that pick. The person I know a little bit better is Barbara Lagoa. Barbara Lagoa is a Floridian. There's a great piece in Politico that we'll post to social media where I'm quoted saying, if the president were to pick Barbara Lagoa, they would be joyfully dancing salsa in Hialeah well past November. Salsa, of course, being a Cuban-originated dance, and Hialeah being the blue-collar, well-known neighborhood in Florida where uh, a lot of Cuban immigrants emerge with great success stories for building businesses and great families and other great assets for the Florida community. That's the community that Lagoa comes from. She was selected by Governor Ron DeSantis to serve on the Florida Supreme Court. I was tangentially involved in that, having served as Ron DeSantis's transition chairman during his time. Uh, and I can tell you that uh, DeSantis, as a brilliant legal mind himself, took a great deal of ownership and a personal pride in the selection of Florida Supreme Court justices, and he was very enthusiastic about Barbara Lagoa. DeSantis got three initial picks on the court when he was first sworn in as governor, and had we only gotten one pick. Uh, I'm pretty convinced that Lagoa would have been that selection, given just her personal story uh, coming up uh, as a first-generation American and then ultimately getting her legal education at Columbia. Uh, that obviously shows her academic and mental rigor. Lagoa then got selected by President Trump to serve on the 11th Circuit. She was confirmed for that. After being confirmed, she had a great conversation with the president. They seemed to have good personal chemistry, uh, and I think she would make a phenomenal pick as well. So two outstanding choices. If I had to handicap it right now, I would probably say a Barrett is in the lead, not as a consequence of really any negative comparison for Lagoa, but Barrett was on President Trump's original list for potential Supreme Court appointees uh, when he won the 2016 election. She was in the top group for consideration when Kavanaugh was selected, and there is a full workup on her. There is a full vet. Don McGahn, the former White House counsel, widely regarded as somebody who did a good job vetting potential candidates. Uh, he was very high on Barrett. He did the workup on Barrett. And so just the fact that she's a little further along uh, in that vet process 
and that we have a constrained time period here uh, with an election coming up soon. And I know the president wanting to get that nomination out into the public sphere as soon as possible. So not as a consequence of any uh, legal acumen comparison or political comparison, but just a mechanical advantage that uh, Amy Barrett seems to have in this process. If I had a bet to make, it would probably be Barrett, but two phenomenal women. I'm glad that given what Justice Ginsburg meant to so many women around the country, uh, that she will be replaced by a strong woman on the court. And I look forward to the president making that selection and then to the United States senators doing their job. Florida politics, Roseanne Dunkelberger has the latest excerpt from my upcoming book, Firebrand, that is actually out tomorrow uh, at long last. And the Florida politics story details a chapter I wrote about the intersection between politics and sports. Politics and sports seem to be the things that can stir our passions and they often interact with one another and in today's world they're almost indistinguishable. Uh, There are good elements of that and bad elements of that. There are I think patriotic uh, feelings that we can have when we watch our fellow Americans excel at something that we might not be so good at. Uh, To see talented people uh, go out and, and achieve greatness is certainly something that should unite us and make us happier as great Americans. And also in the book Firebrand, I detail the inner workings of the swamp of Washington, D.C., and I lay bare the extent to which money and political action committees and special interest influence guide way more of the decision-making even than you might think. Everything from what committees members of Congress serve on, what bills they're able to get to the floor, what assistance they're able to get for their districts in in times of crisis and in great need, it is all fueled by money. Washington has essentially become a corrupt money laundering machine, and it is not okay to be of that system. That is one reason why I am the only Republican in the entire Congress who, as a matter of policy, will not accept a check from a federal political action committee. And uh, this book, Firebrand, which comes out tomorrow, is my invitation to the Congress and to the entire America First political movement to liberate ourselves from these anti-democratic impulses and instead to follow our transformational president in making the changes our country absolutely needs. I wrote a chapter about cancel culture, about big tech, about the need to confront China, and really the geopolitics that surrounded the entire Russia-Ukraine fiasco. I know that impeachment seems like long ago, but the lessons learned about how the Democrats fight, how we have to adapt our tactics in the fight are still very much relevant today. And I think they'll be even more relevant when Donald Trump is reelected and when we position ourselves to fully take advantage of a presidency that I believe will save America, will restore our values and our money, our trade relationships around the world, our military, our commitment to veterans. These are all critical things. FloridaPolitics.com wrote it. I wrote the book. It's called Firebrand. I hope you enjoy. Just as I write in my book, Firebrand, that I'm a big sports fan, so is President Trump. He loves baseball, he loves fights, and President Trump just happened to call Colby Covington on the phone following his big win, uh, and that was captured by ESPN. Take a listen to the president and the champ. This is a 
first. Thank you so much. You are you are a great fighter, man. I'll tell you, you make it so easy. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> Congratulations. I wanted to watch that fight tonight. I wanted to watch it. You were great. Thank you so much, Mr. President. You gave me the dragon energy when you shook my hand on Sunday at your rally, and it doesn't matter if King Kong was in front of me, I was not going to lose after getting to shake your hand uh, and beat you your rally. Well, he's a strong-looking guy, too. He's a tough guy. He's a great fighter. He was a champ, and you, that was easy work, relatively easy work for you. That's a great, I'm proud of you, man. Thank you so I'm much, proud Mr. Of you. I just made a big speech at 35,000 people. I said, well, i got to get home now to watch Kobe. <laughs> Yeah, strong guy, former champion, but it didn't matter who was in there, Mr. President. After getting to see you, I don't care if there was a God, Superman yeah, in there. I was beating anybody. That's great, Colby. I'm proud of you, man. Thank I'm you. a big fan, and I'm proud of you. You're tough. You're tough. You have the right spirit. So now go win the next one and just keep it for a long time, right? Just keep that championship for a long time. But you are, you are something. And say hello to all the guys. I appreciated the shout-out tonight, too. I'm, I'm your fan, you're my fan, you know, two of a, two of a kind. Two of a kind. <laughs> Thank you so That's much, right. Mr. President. I'm going to bring you the new belt to the Oval Office soon after you win you, November 3rd by a landslide. You get that belt and you bring it in and I'll see you, man. We're rooting for you. I, literally, I came in from a big speech tonight. Oh. I said, I got to get back. I got to watch this, uh, <laughs> this man, the man. That's so, so humbling. You keep it going. Colby, keep it going. You look great. You look fantastic. Thank you, Mr. President. take care of yourself, okay? Thank you so much, Mr. Very President. Very proud of you. Very proud of you, Kobe. So look, see you soon. See you soon, Mr. So President. Long, Have a great night. Kim Klasik is the candidate for Congress in the Baltimore community that went viral with a campaign ad that I think really laid bare the challenges that urban communities have with a Democratic Party that's taken them for granted and often left them behind. Take a listen to that transformational ad. Do you care about black lives? The people that run Baltimore don't. I can prove it. Walk with me. They don't want you to see this. I'm Kim Klasik. This is Baltimore, the real Baltimore. The Democrat Party have betrayed the black people of Baltimore. If the politicians walk the streets like I do, they would see exactly how their policies and corruption affects us. But they don't want to see it. They don't want you to see this. Go to any Baltimore neighborhood and ask this question. Do you want to defund the police? No. No. Absolutely not. I had three sons killed in Baltimore City. And I think if we defund the police office, it's going to be worse than that. So no, I'm opposed to that. What are you going to defund the police for? Why? How do you defend your city, your community? Families are losing people. It's not just Baltimore. The worst place for a black person to live in America is a Democrat-controlled city. It's 2020. Name a blue city where black people's lives have gotten better. Try. I'll wait. And so with her newfound stardom, uh, Kim made her way to The View and had quite the exchange with Joy Behar that resulted in essentially getting canceled on air in real time. Take a listen. Excuse me, I have to say something to you. He told Bob Woodward that it was a very serious issue and it's airborne and that it was terrible. And then he went out and told the American people, don't wear masks, it's all gonna go away. You have to put some blame on your president, I'm sorry. You're putting it on something extraneous here. Talk to the point, please. Is this, is this Joy speaking, the, the same lied. Joy? 
The same yes. Joy that yes. paraded around in blackface not too long ago? Come on, Joy, I don't think you should be That's asking these true. questions. I am Excuse a, an me. Excuse me. The black community had my back. They know that the that black was community not has my face. back. That was an homage. Oh, please, the black just answer has the question. My back. See, this is the problem with the Vipers in The View, and I actually did write about it in my book, Firebrand, that's out tomorrow. They have such a constrained worldview that it doesn't allow them to listen to other perspectives and hear how people out in real America might be perceiving the events around them. And when Joy Behar acts like this, it only builds the resentment between the viewers, between real Americans, and the type of Hollywood, New York elites that want to control what we think and how we behave. And if you don't see the world like they do, well, they just pull the plug, kick you off, go to commercial. Well, you know what? We can't go to commercial on the American dream. And I'm glad that Kim Klasik is out there trying to restore that dream for her residents, for her fellow Americans. President Trump described the deal that he's forging with TikTok to ensure the preservation of our national security. Take a listen to the president. We have some very big news on TikTok. TikTok uh, is moving along. We're dealing with Oracle, which you know of, Larry Ellison. And we're dealing with, as a combination, Walmart. Walmart, a great company, great American company. The security will be 100%. They'll be using separate clouds and a lot of very, very powerful security. And uh, they'll be making about a $5 billion contribution toward education. I can say that I have given the deal my blessing. If they get it done, that's great. If they don't, that's okay too. But it's a great deal for America. I think it's wonderful that as a part of the TikTok transaction, we are going to see increased investment in Americanism, putting our values and our history in the forefront in the minds of our young people. And it is absolutely necessary to preserve any civilization of people, to preserve culture and our shared history and the way in which America was founded continues to impact our lives and the way we solve current problems. There is a certain resilience with Americanism. There is a certain independence. There is a certain sense of self-determination that comes with learning and understanding our history. I've had about enough of the 1619 Project and the negative influences that its founders have tried to inject into our nation. And it's great to see patriotism at the forefront of the mind of the American president, a president of sound mind, which is something we certainly want to maintain, and a, certainly a sound country. And to make sure that we keep that rock-solid foundation for America, education into our Constitution and our founding and our principles is absolutely necessary. I'm glad our president is fighting for just that. Van Morrison, the Celtic soul master, one of my absolute favorite musical acts, and not for the brown-eyed girl stuff, more for the like Tupelo honey, crazy love side of things, but Van Morrison still cranking out songs, and the Northern Ireland Ministry of Health has now labeled Van Morrison's music as dangerous, because he's written protest songs that criticize the lockdowns in the UK, uh, even using language that those lockdowns were enslaving people and that scientists were making up crooked facts to justify uh, their measures of, of disease control. So now the Northern Ireland Ministry of Health says 
he is dangerous. I tell you what, you know, music, that has constantly been an area of protest and disagreement with the government. I don't think it's dangerous at all. Keep singing, Van Morrison. I'll keep listening. Thanks for listening to Hot Takes. I'm Congressman Matt Gates. Make sure you subscribe so that each and every day on this dynamic week, you'll get the updates on the news, the latest inside information, and the hottest of hot takes. Thank you.